The thing about the Home and Auto Bundle from Progressive is that by now you've heard a lot of ads about the Home and Auto Bundle from Progressive. We don't even need the words the Home and Auto Bundle anymore to tell you that you could save big with a ring-tailed lemur from Progressive. Or that every hot peach cobbler comes with round-the-clock service and protection. And that's the thing about the goat with magic powers. You've heard a lot of ads about the sushi in Vancouver. See how much you could save with the Home and Auto Bundle <clears throat> with the Shaman in the Jungle from Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode of the Inside Line Formula 1 podcast. And as always, we're super excited because we have a double header Formula 1 weekend. Uh, actually, Kunal, it's the second last double header. We still have the USA Mexico races back to back to go. Yes, welcome to everyone. Welcome to the Inside Line F1 podcast. And I actually read last week that Formula 1 might consider triple headers in the future and even more so for the flyaway races. Yeah, you know, Kunal, I am always for triple header races. Actually, quadruple, quintuple, all of those headers, flyaway or not, I don't <laughs> care. <laughs> But guess, you know what? In this week's episode, we are going to speak about Sebastian Vettel and Sebastian Vettel alone and nobody else. Oh no, come on. I have no. several <laughs> I have several more points in my notebook and uh, it starts from moments in time with Lucien then I'm looking forward to your what would what wolf said this week section how Red Bull Racing could make money off Toro Rosso and Russia's interest in a Formula 1 team. Fine if you insist we talk about all of that as well. Uh, guys, remember to subscribe to us on iTunes and on Audioboom. We promise you your weekly dose of Formula 1 humor. Yes, so on to this episode. I wonder if we should even call Sebastian Vettel a title contender anymore. I mean, yes, it's a mathematical possibility, but that's about it. Kunal, please be polite. <laughs> Don't hurt his feelings already. <laughs> well, You know, to be frank, I know that, you know, there has to be a winner and then hence there has to be a loser or in this case it's going to be like 19 losers. But for the second season in succession, Ferrari and Vettel and the manner in which they have lost is what is most disappointing. You know, they're literally going down without a fight, especially in the second half of this season. I think Vettel needs to speak to Nico Rosberg, you know, to get some tips really quick. He But... needs to do yoga. <laughs> But honestly, I think he needs to do all of that because he really needs to get his act together. But but that's for 2019. Mm. I don't think 2018 can be uh, resurrected in any <laughs> manner, given that there are just five races to go. Yeah, and you know, from what I read, the fight at Ferrari is all internal. And you know, of course, you've heard it as well. There are rumors of Ariba when just leaving Ferrari and going off to Juventus. He doesn't want to watch them lose anymore either. <laughs> and here's one more loss of Formula One to football, you know, given how football is like the global sport. And I've always debated that with a lot of my football friends. But well, if Arima Ben goes, I don't know what else can I say. But <laughs> <laughs> And uh, in all of this, I wonder what is next for Sebastian Vettel. Will Sebastian Vettel end up going the Fernando Alonso way? Or will he just retire as a four times world champion? Or will he just endure at Ferrari till such time uh, that Ferrari have a dominant car 
and can win despite all their apparent mistakes in race management. And will Ferrari be patient with Vettel? And I know that Ferrari keeps their drivers way past their best by dates. Like Kimi Raikkonen. No, but. no, not like Kimi Raikkonen. But <laughs> <laughs> honestly, Charles Leclerc's double promotion is obviously a hint that Ferrari is obviously planning for life after Vettel. Yeah, I mean, you know, you realize one thing. Mithila has gone from saying Charles Leclerc, the English way, to Charles Leclerc. So she's probably been practicing that yeah. in, in the last week. <laughs> Don't give my <laughs> secret away, <Kuna. laughs> But let's put it this way. I mean, although we are trying to wonder what's next for Sebastian Vettel, uh, let's let's remember he is still one of the best drivers out there, and that's without a doubt. And uh, having said that. I'm pretty unsure of his future and I'm assuming that he could be of one too. That's especially after he listens to this episode of our podcast. And now that you put it this way, there could actually be no other option for Vettel. McLaren Williams too slow, Red Bull Racing, Verstappen is there, Vettel basically. <laughs> and Mercedes, they're pretty damn content with Hamilton. And you know, this whole German driver winning a championship with a German team is appealing only up to a certain point. And that said... Mercedes's future is Esteban Ocon. Like your your friend Toto Wolf said that he's willing to play the long game with Ocon. I don't know what that what that means, but anyway, it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting how the lack of competitive teams we've spoken about this time and time again is impacting not just the junior drivers but even the world champions. Now that is a very good point, and let's hope that Formula One realizes how big a problem they have at their hands. And uh, that said, I wonder if Sebastian Vettel would go off to Formula E and win multiple championships there uh, before Lewis Hamilton comes along and, you know, wins some more championships than him. Yeah, or he could do what Michael Schumacher did after retiring from Ferrari, team management roles and all of that. Or he could do what Nico Rosberg did after retiring, basically start his own podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, by the way, congratulations to Nico Rosberg. His karting karting team won a world title a few weeks ago. Wow, that's interesting. He is like... I wonder if he calls himself a two times world champion. One that (laughs) he won himself and one that his drivers won for him. But anyway, talking of podcasts... Sebastian, if you're listening to us, we are absolutely open to you buying a stake and being on the show, if that's what you think your future in Formula One is going to be. But, uh, okay, moving on. Uh, I'm going to talk off all the pending seats for 2019, and I hear that Sergis Sorotkin is talking to Toro Rosso. And basically, Toro Rosso could end up fielding an all-Russian driver lineup for 2019. Yeah, I highly doubt that, though. I don't think Red Bull Racing would succumb to pay drivers. That's my view. Well, you know, let me put it this way. Red Bull Racing know that they have got a seat to fill. But currently, they have no worthy driver in their junior program. So, actually, why not sell it for a year to these rich pay drivers that are, you know, willing to pay millions... And actually make some money off the Toro Rosso seat. I mean, you may not make enough money through the championship points scored, but sell off the seat for a year. I really liked a uh, suggestion made by Stanley on Twitter. He said that the FIA should fund a seat at Sauber or Williams for the Formula 2 champion to race in. And that's a damn interesting thought, but obviously impossible to execute. (laughs) Thank you, Stanley. That's an interesting thought, yes. So, in Suzuka, Ferrari are going to showcase a new livery. So, just when fan interest is absolutely rock bottom, 
Ferrari are going to announce a new livery inspired by a sponsor. Like, who cares? Literally. <laughs> yeah, I think the only interesting thing will be if they go and paint their cars silver. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, uh, there are already images doing the rounds on WhatsApp. I have shared an image on our Facebook page. And it actually is a Ferrari in Mercedes colors. So guys, you can go to our Facebook page and check this picture out. And of course... They're uh, trying so damn hard, right? <laughs> <laughs> Zach Brown said that Formula One should allow teams to use one-off liveries during the season. And honestly, if he had to ask for something one-off, Kunal, why the hell didn't he ask for a one-off race where McLaren get the Mercedes or the Ferrari engine? <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you why he wouldn't ask for that. Because that would definitely expose the chassis and the deficiencies they have on the chassis level at McLaren. So, Zach is a smart man. You know, but... <laughs> and rumours claim that a second FIA sensor did Ferrari in. So, they didn't use their straight line boost in Singapore and Sochi, thanks to this sensor. Yes, in uh, Sochi, Mercedes were the class of the field. Without a doubt, they didn't put a foot wrong. And I know you say this purposely because uh, I'm never in favour of team orders, Kunal, but I know you are. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not that I'm in favour of team orders, but Formula 1 is a team sport. That's the construct of the sport. And team orders are hence legal in the sport. And you do remember what happened when team orders were banned from the sport, right? Like teams were using all disguised messages to deploy team orders. And that would, in fact, be even more embarrassing. I mean, it's like Kimi Raikkonen, you know, just tell me what you want me to do and then you do that. <laughs> you know, uh, Toro Wolf has been talking a lot about these three car teams, but imagine if there was Ocon, Botas and Hamilton at Mercedes and Mercedes would have actually asked Ocon and Botas to move over. <laughs> <laughs> there would be like double the embarrassment. And that is exactly why we shouldn't have three car teams, you know, makes team orders so difficult. <laughs> But I like how Ocon is leading the race in this example you just gave. Just so you know. like Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ocon is going to go from being a test stroke reserve driver in 2019 to a Mercedes driver in 2020. And that is my prediction. And your predictions are always true, Kunal. So I think we're going to hold you to that. <laughs> so Fernando Alonso said something damn interesting. He said that he doesn't have the talent for rallying. And that's a brave admission, you know, especially how he can go on and on about how amazing he is and how, uh, you know, his races are the best ever and whatnot, <laughs> how he can race anything. <laughs> you know, I read this interesting stat about Fernando Alonso. In 2018, he's either finished a race in the points or he's retired from the races. But in Russia, it was the first race of this season where he finished the race, even though he was outside of the points in 14th place. So a bit of a tongue twister, but you can hear the point again. It's, it's an interesting statistic for Fernando Alonso. And uh, hats off to Alonso yeah. still, because in that McLaren, he is still ninth place in the Drivers' Championship. And that is commendable. Uh, the only drivers ahead of him are Nico Hulkenberg and Kevin Magnussen, if I remember right. Yeah, fantastic. But it's a big pity that Stoffel Van Doen is only 16th and the championship points he has are in the single digits. Going to ask for comparisons, yeah. <laughs> Helmut Marco offered a brutal and honest opinion about Stoffel Van Doen. He said that Van Doen is not fast enough for Formula 1. And this reminds me of a motorsport saying I've heard several times over. Just because you're fast in one formula doesn't mean that you'll be fast in another formula. Unless you're Leclerc. 
<laughs> yeah. But, but of course, this court has its exceptions too. I'm not going to read out all the other names that go into exceptions, but yeah, well. Yeah, and I'm just going to take this one step further and adapt this quote for Dan Rick. Uh, Daniel Ricardo, if you're funny in one formula, you're definitely going to be the funniest when you get to Formula One, because <laughs> that's exactly what he is. He's amazing. Kunal, you know, in Russia, uh, Ricardo made a doping joke by saying that I hope all the other drivers ahead of me get caught doping or something like that, so I can drive to a win on Sunday. <laughs> and this is hilarious. Because it's like a joke on doping in Russia, you know, what amazing comic timing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Ricardo's humor is a dream come true, especially when all we hear from Max Verstappen is how bad Renault is and how they need to focus on everything else but him. And let's look at Danny Kivat, uh, you know, a good example uh, about his return to Formula One. And it offers us all a life lesson. You know, never to burn your bridges. Because despite being kicked out by Helmut Marco, he kept in touch. He remained in contention. And now he is making a comeback with the same team that actually kicked him out 12 months back. (laughs) But I think that's also because no one else wants him in their cars. But they don't (laughs) mind putting him in their simulators. (laughs) Well, the simulators have uh, crash mode off, right? Like no damage or whatever. But uh, Torpedo mode (laughs) off. (laughs) And um, since we've spoken about how Vettel could be stuck at Ferrari, I hope Max Verstappen is able to see that by bitching out Renault time and again, he is actually pissing off a manufacturer team. And you and I know how few manufacturer teams exist in Formula One. Or let me add to that, how few competitive manufacturer teams exist in Formula One. Yeah, and on the note of Renault, so Artem Makalo's father has been arrested on bribery charges And uh, we know how important fathers are in establishing a career in Formula One. (laughs) I mean, rich fathers. (laughs) Well, if Artem does make it to Formula One, there could be three Russian drivers on the grid in 2019. Crazy. And at the Russian Grand Prix, one of the ministers said that Russia would plan to have its own Formula One team in a decade or so. And can you imagine this whole USA versus Russia and Formula One that we've been joking about all along might actually come true. Like I said about our predictions. <laughs> but Kunal, every time, you know, I always wonder why Vladimir Putin arrives closer to the end of the race. Why? Well, he just likes to make a big entrance. And, you know, that's what my friend Hafiz uh, keeps citing Will Smith's dialogue from the movie Independence Day. I just like to make a big entrance. Maybe that's how Vladimir Putin thinks. Or... Uh, it's probably just that Putin expects the Russian Grand Prix to be boring all the time. So he's like, you know what, let's just cut the chase and go straight to the podium. Yeah, because he can. (laughs) (laughs) But unluckily for Putin, the 2018 Russian Grand Prix was actually damn entertaining. And I guess he missed all the fun at the start. Or maybe he has a free access account to F1 TV Pro and he was watching it on his phone or something. (laughs) Lifetime (laughs) access. Okay, Kunal, so it's time for my amazing, my fantastic What Wolf Said This Week section. So, Wolf said that I would rather be the baddie than the idiot. And this was obviously to justify the use of team orders. (laughs) I like the word baddie. (laughs) Well, I I mean... (laughs) But let me put it this way. Uh, Ferrari and Vettel are where they are in the championship because they did not make the most of the opportunities that came their way when they were the fastest package. 
And now we are literally pulling Mercedes up for making the most of the opportunities that came their way in Russia. And I think that's a little unfair. And it's like this, like how many of us would like to seal the deal at the earliest possible moment in our lives? And that's exactly what Mercedes did. You know, they want to win the title at the soonest possible race. And what's wrong in that? And uh, I'll tell you why Mercedes used team orders in Russia. It's because Wolf had already said that he wouldn't enjoy seeing Bottas and Hamilton race. So the pit wall did exactly what most employees do, keep the boss happy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so on to Japan. I read that a typhoon might affect the running of the race. And let's really hope that this doesn't happen. I read that Honda have upgrades for their home race. And I'm really hoping that it works out and it works well. I'm sure that Daniel Ricciardo would be worried seeing Renault's form in the last four races. So they've scored just twice. And basically, this means that ever since they announced Ricciardo, they've scored in just like 50% of the races or something. Whoops. Yeah. I'm reminded of Ferrari's message to Kimi Raikkonen. So when they told him to do the opposite of Hamilton, and then Raikkonen responds, typically, I can't even see him. And it's like... <laughs> Rolling on the floor laughing. <laughs> so do you think Ferrari can win this weekend in Suzuka? Uh, honestly, I think no, because it is Suzuka and somehow the whole Mercedes and Red Bull packages, they just seem so much stronger to me. To me. And uh, <laughs> I think Ferrari will win at least two races before the end of the season. And that's my prediction. But I don't think Suzuka will be one of them. And uh, I think the next prediction we should all be getting into is by which race do you think Hamilton will seal the 2018 Formula One World Championship? What do you Maybe think? Maybe by Brazil, I think. Yeah. Well, I would pick uh, Mexico. Oh. Although I think Hamilton would want America if he had to make the <laughs> choice. But okay, so up next is Moments in Time with Lucien. Uh, he sends uh, this section to us all the way from Australia. You already know him as a big Formula One fan. He's a musician, a professional musician, and you can hear his music on Bandcamp. But for now, it's Moments in Time with Lucien. Welcome to Moments in Time on the Inside Line with Lucien Byfield. Today, we're going to talk about the Japanese Grand Prix. And the first thing that comes to mind is the legacy or the infamy of Suzuka and the Senna Prost rivalry. Clearly, this is what most talk about due to the disgraceful endings in 1989 and 1990. Strangely, given the might of both Senna and Prost, Senna only won in Japan twice, and Prost never won. In 1989, Prost forewarned that he would no longer be leaving the door open, instead would be resisting the bully tactics Senna had employed, and he was true to his word. Prost, that day, had dominated the race, but when Senna went for a bonsai move, it was Prost who made a half-hearted, lame attempt at being a Senna. And even Keki Rosberg spoke of this after the race, stating that it was not in Prost's nature to be like that. The haunting memory of that day for Prost was that his car was fine, undamaged, and if he had been restarted, he would have won easily. As for 1990, this accident was premeditated and blatant, with Senna just showing disregard for the safety of not only the other 20 plus drivers in the grid, but also the spectators in the crowd, and just rammed Prost out of the way to win a title. Some like to compare 89 and 90, but the two accidents are not comparable. In 89, Prost was simply trying to be a badass and resisted poorly, 
but in 1990, Senna chose to deliberately drive his rival off track. It was obvious, but for some reason, most sided with Senna. But a year later in 1991, Senna admitted it. The Japanese Grand Prix of the past are showered with amazing history. From James Hunt in 76, winning a title in the rain, to Damon Hill producing his best ever drive in 94 to beat Schumacher, despite not being able to change a tyre in a two-part aggregate race. Also, Jensen Button comes to mind in 2011, with Vettel doing a shoey on him, swerving and putting him on the grass at the start. This was the year that Button was really special, and in a dry race, he dominated Suzuka that day. Michael Schumacher won this race six times, and it was in 2000 that he finally got a Ferrari title. But it was 2003 that I remember, with him barely scraping into the points to just take the title in a race that made him look like a rookie. The Japanese Grand Prix has been kind to Japanese drivers over the years. Takuma Sato shone on this track twice. Kamubi Kobayashi got his one and only podium, and so did a Suzuki. A very special race that stands out is 2005, where Kimi Raikkonen produced his last win from McLaren and took the lead right at the end from Fisichella in one of the most audacious moves ever seen into Turn 1. Gerhard Berger had a couple of wins here, 87 being the start of a false dawn where he looked like the new Maranello Messiah, but in 91, Senna very deliberately obeyed Ron Dennis and gave Berger the win right at the end. Berger was embarrassed. One thing that tracks like Suzuka show is that it is very hard to compare different eras. One thing that comes to mind often is Nigel Mansell, and I'm not thinking of his title-ending crash before the race in 87, but rather of his title-ending trip into the gravel in 91. In 2014, Hamilton did a similar thing, going off at basically the same point. But where there was once a gravel trap, today there is a runoff area, and Hamilton was able to win that day. Nico Rosberg got his final victory here, dominantly so, and Eddie Irvine burst onto the scene in 93, unlapping himself from Senna, earning a punch in the mouth. As a figure eight track of sorts, it is a highly regarded man's circle, testing the testicular fortitude of the drivers. And, in the past, before the cars and runoff areas made it easy, 130R was a corner to test a man from a boy. We have seen many accidents there, and Alan McNish ended his career with a crash so severe that he went through the fence. Sadly, we must not forget Jules Bianchi. In 2014, he basically died here, although technically it was mid-2015 that he actually died. He is sorely missed by the paddock. That's it for Moments in Time on the Inside Line with Lucien Byfield. Thank you, Lucien. You know, I knew that Suzuka would mean a really long section, given how many, you know, iconic moments this race has given us. Yes, and let's hope that this Sunday adds to the memory of the Japanese Grand Prix that we've always had at Suzuka. And we will see you after the race. Uh, remember to tune into our podcast next week. Till then, sayonara. Is that what they yeah. say bye-bye <laughs> in Japan? Yes, sayonara. Bye-bye.
15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Is that Shakespeare? Nope, it's Geico. Uh, yeah, 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 that's Shakespeare from one of his unpublished works. Oh, it be not for awakening. Nay, give it thou the berries. For 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. No, it's from Geico, because they help save people money. Well, I hate to break it to you, but Geico got it from Shakespeare. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more.